you know the you know the Lord is moving when somebody doesn't mind you sitting in the chair. You guys know some of those. You know, so you guys know what I'm talking about. It's been in church very long. You got the old person like, "Where in my pew?" You know. So. All right, that's a sign. God is among us. Let me tell you. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you for your glory and your fire. And um, Lord, I ask you to bless this time in the Word. I pray that you would give us all good fertile soil of hearts and minds, that you would anoint our eyes and our ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Help us to be good fertile soil. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us get locked in and focused right now, give you our best ear, our full attention. Get everything out of this that's, that's the will of God right now, that you would speak through me, and your word will go out like living seeds of truth, sown in the good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. It'll take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest. And I pray, Lord, that it would increase a harvest in people's lives until Jesus comes. Lord, let this not just be something that we hear and leave out, but something that is literally written into our hearts, that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers. And, Lord, I pray this will deeply, deeply impact our lives. I thank you for it right now. In Jesus' mighty name. All right, I want to talk real quick about the glory I feel like that I've covered some of this in the past, but all right, some things that our friend Mika, he's our, is, there are missionaries to Finland. Anyway, they're going to be here hopefully in about six months or so with us again. And so he had a prophetic word for me. And in that word, I, I read it to you guys. I'm not going to reread it. But one of the things the Lord has been showing me, he saw the cloud of God's glory coming, and it opened heaven. But what I saw today as I was in prayer is that in the glory is where a lot of healing takes place. And I saw God's glory beginning to thicken, and I saw healing begin to increase in that. And in that, he saw the glory coming, and in, in the cloud of glory, he saw like these fiery horses and you got to know, Jer Jeremiah said that if you cannot keep up with footmen, how are you going to be able to keep up with the horsemen? And so whenever you understand that, you understand that it talks about things speeding up. And I felt that the fiery horses had to do with revival, but I felt it had to do with God speeding things up. Because, I mean, normal church life, you know, you're going to see people getting saved, healed, delivered, you know, periodically. But when revival comes, when the Lord really starts moving in power, Everything goes to another level. Everything. The, the harvest starts coming in. And I'm not so concerned. You know, God has spoken to me clearly that there's about seven new families going to come in. It's a new season. And I'm not really concerned about what other people are concerned with, I think. I'm more concerned with when the harvest gets here, how are we going to manage that harvest? That's what I'm concerned with. Because I want us to be able to disciple those that are coming in. And let me tell you guys that are going out witnessing, I want you to hear me. We've got to follow up. Okay? You have got to follow up. You've got to get them that booklet, and you've got to get their name and some way of contacting them. Because they're just babes in Christ. And if you don't follow up with them and you don't, you don't get their information, then you're basically just letting them kind of go by the wayside. And the Bible says that many times they don't have roots and when persecution, different things come, they fall away, okay? 
And so what I'm more concerned with is that we're effective in our follow-up and we're effective in our discipleship. I saw, you know, Mika also saw like a new mantle coming. This was a recent prophetic word, maybe a month ago. But a new mantle coming, a fresh anointing. He saw lightning, a thunder in that cloud. Lightning speaks of God's power. Thunder speaks of God's voice. He saw a major open heaven, which I believe is just freedom, you know, from any hindrances of the enemy at all, and large audiences. But a lot of these things have to do with, you know, the timing of God and, and God fulfilling a lot of different prophetic words he's given us over the, the course of time. So, I mean, you guys love God's glory. Well, let me explain some things you see on the picture. You know, this is the challenge because a lot of times people are going to choose or be forced to come to a place where they're either going to choose to go with God or to go with the norm. But you're not going to be able to do both. All of us are brought to a a decision. I remember whenever I was in Bible school, and I've shared this, but I remember being introduced to revival at the Pensacola Revival, and God mightily visited my life. Okay, I was just, it was a baptism of fire. Everything changed. And so when that happened, I was also a youth pastor, and I had to make a choice. Either I was going to go down the normal political road that I saw everybody around me going into, it seemed like, where it was more like who you met, who you know, you know, all the different things, it's, it's very similar to the way politicians run things, you know, in their campaigns. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be like that, but that's the way a lot of people are. They're like, well, you know, I'll go to this specific Bible school, and I'll do this, this, I'll meet these people, I'll get on staff at this church, and it's just like they're trying to plan out their little successful life, you know. And I had a choice where I was either going to go with the crowd or I was going to go with the glory. And whenever I chose to start going with God's glory, What's going to happen is, is that there's going to be a lot of persecution with that. Because you got to understand, I, just recently, a couple months ago, Sandy and I were at this church, and this prophetic guy that doesn't know us, uh, Benny Baker, he's a great guy, but he doesn't know us, but we have mutual friends. And he was prophesying over us. And he didn't even know our lives or, or you know, the history. But he said this, he said, you know, you chose a hard road He's just prophesying. He said, you chose a hard road to go with revival and go with God's glory, and you've lost friends because of it. So that's what will happen. Because you, you won't be able to make people happy that are religious. And there's so many different things. I mean, it's like the people that were your friends can't go into that, you know, many of them, and they don't want to. Not to mention the spiritual warfare that it seems to attract and the persecution from the religious. And I wanted to say to you that that's what I feel is the next thing. You know, we're about to get some more people coming in. God's going to start doing a whole new season. We know that. But what you got to understand is, is that the next phase of spiritual warfare is going to be a little different, and I really feel it's going to be facing the religious. And so I'm trying to warn you prophetically that it's going to be facing the religious community and religious people. So you need to be ready for that when it comes. All right. So God's glory is his manifest presence. There's two Hebrew words that describe God's glory. It's kabod, which means the weighty manifest presence of God, and shekinah, 
which speaks of his brightness. And whenever you see here the tabernacle and you see the pillar of fire, what happened on the day of Pentecost was that they, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And this same fire that was over the tabernacle in the Old Testament was broken up into smaller little pieces because now it was not an earthly tabernacle like that. Now man became the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And so God broke that up and he put little, little pillars of fire over the head of every person there because now they were to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the children of Israel, I'm going to get to this, but they followed the glory. They followed the glory of God. I'll give, me, give you a few quick things about the glory. Again, God's glory is his manifest presence. How many of you guys have felt the weight of the glory? I have. There was a time in my life when I was in a meeting, and a guy called me out, prayed over me. And when I was on the ground, I felt like, you know, just a thousand-pound weight. It wasn't anything scary or anything like that. It was the glory. But it was just I could not move. I could not get up. I mean, it was the glory of God just pinned me. And that's the weight, the heaviness of God's glory. That's the kabod. But we know that Adam walked with God in the garden, and later Enoch did. And they were familiar with God's glory. I'm going to give you something some of you guys maybe have never seen. But the glory of God was one of the main things that was lost in the garden. I mean, obviously fellowship with God was broken. It was hindered and death entered. We all, I know all of that. But the glory, see, what a lot of people don't know, if you look into the Hebrew, in Genesis 2.25, it says that they were naked and they didn't know it. Or they weren't ashamed, rather. They were naked and they weren't ashamed. But the word there in Hebrew for naked is A-R-O-M, Arom, and it actually means partially nude. You can look this up. But then after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says their eyes were opened and they were naked, and so they went and sewed fig leaves. So the question is, what in the world happened if they were naked before? Why now are they, you know, getting weird about it? Have you ever seen fig leaves? <laughs> I would have used elephant ears, you know. I mean, they're like that. But anyway, so they, you know, you're wondering what happened. Well, the second time when it says in Genesis 3, 7, it says they were, they, they were naked and their eyes were open. They were naked and they were ashamed and they went and sewed fig leaves together to make garments. The word there for naked is erom, it's E-R-O-M, in the Hebrew, and it means totally nude. So then you have to wonder what happened because the Bible says God made man in his image. And if you read the book of Psalms, it says that God wraps himself with light like a garment. So I can tell you what happened. Adam and Eve, even though they might have been nude in a physical sense, they had the glory on them. There was a weight there, and there was a shining. And whenever they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that glory lifted off of them. And they realized their nudity and they were ashamed. They tried to cover themselves. See, the glory of God in these end times is going to be extremely important that we have the glory in our midst because the glory is going to be something that's going to bring comfort. How many times, you know, when somebody is wounded or something, they, you know, 
hit your you know, thumb with a hammer or whatever. And what do you do? First thing you do is you start applying pressure. You cut yourself, you put pressure, and you're holding it. Why? Because it brings some kind of comfort. And what you got to understand, a lot of people are going through things in life right now. And the glory of God is what is putting a weight and putting a pressure over that and bringing healing. It's a comfort. It's a protection. Because in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God will purge the bloodstains from Jerusalem. And then he says, and I will put over you a canopy of fire. So the glory of God is also going to be like a canopy of fire. It's going to be a protection. Romans 13 talks about the armor of light. See, what in the world is the armor of light? You know, we know about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, but what is the armor of light that Paul is talking about? I believe it's the glory. See, I don't know about you, but I want my house and my life to be a place of the glory. Now, people may or may not be able to see that all the time in the, in the natural. You know, I've heard of, of different revival meetings where somebody called the fire department and a fire engine came, seriously, true story, fire engine came because somebody called and reported a fire, and it wasn't a natural fire, but they saw something on top that looked like fire and smoke. That's the glory. But I want my life to be the glory, in, you know, in my home and in my life, an armor of light, the glory over, to where, you know, the devil or, or you know, one of his uh, minions comes roaming around, and they're like, you know, I'll go in that house and that house and that house, but I'm not going in that house. <laughs> it's kind of like those uh, bug zappers, you know. They're afraid. They're afraid to go in. <laughs> what happened when Moses encountered the glory in Exodus chapter thirty-four? When he came down from spending time in the glory, his face was shining. So, in other words, his body, his face soaked in that glory. And when he came down, it was just shining off of him, and the children of Israel were afraid of it. He was lit up like a light bulb. He comes walking down, and they're probably thinking that it's, it's a ghost. You know, it's Moses' ghost, and they're all afraid of him, and he has to put a veil over him. But I'm going to show you something. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, this is in your notes, verse 5, it says that, do you, you guys remember King Saul, who later fell away from God, ended up going to a witch, persecuted David, well, when God originally picked Saul, he was a head taller than everybody, handsome guy. He looked like a king. And how many knows that a lot of times, given the opportunity, humanity will always pick a Saul, but God will always pick a David. Just saying. So anyway, Saul was, was taken to be king. He was anointed. He was hiding off in the luggage or whatever. He was you know, shy about it. But Samuel came to him, poured some oil over his head, and Samuel told him, I want you to go and do what I'm telling you to do. And when you do, God is going to change you into a different man. Now, I'm going to read to you this story. So Samuel sends out Saul. He anoints him, prays over him, says, go do what I'm telling you to do. When you go there, God's going to change you. So, so with verse 5, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from a high place with lyres, uh, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. Verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. So what happens when people get into God's presence is God changes who they are. 
I remember I went to see this missionary. <coughs> we were on, it wasn't Los Fresnos, but it, I can't remember the name of the town. But I was with Jeff, and, and we were down there with a group. And there was this missionary that had been there for years. And he had seen great revival, great harvest of souls at different times. And, and it was just a real joy to talk to him. Um, he, he had really, truly given his life to the gospel. I mean, he was in danger. There were times his life, his life was in danger. There was times that he said that him and his family had nothing but a backpack. That's it. That's all they had. And they had to believe God for food and water. And he said those, he said those days, he kind of envied those days because it was like God would just totally take care of them. And he said now that he had all the stuff, now he had to take care of the stuff. And he said he had to fix the toilet. He said, I had to fix the light. I had to go do this. Something's broke today. And, and, he's, and he's saying that it was an easier life back when he just trusted God for everything. I thought that was interesting. But he said at some point in time in his ministry, there was this room. And he said God's presence showed up in that room. And he said his presence would not leave that room. He said God's glory is in this one room. And um, when we were walking by, he said, I want you to go in here, open the door, and shove this in. You know, and you could feel it. I mean, you went from you went from nothing right into the manifest presence of God. It was like, whoa, you know. And he said, it's been that way for years. And he said there was this young lady that had just been, he said, she, he said she was rebellious. She was hard-headed. She was difficult. The parents had kind of given up on her. And he was walking with her, and he said, he said, hey, I want you to go in this room for a minute. He just opened the door and shoved her in this room. And in the room, the glory of God came on her, and she started weeping, and God softened her heart, and she began to really get right with God, and God began to do a work in her life. But it was her encountering God's glory that brought the change. And said, old missionary knew that. He knew if I could get her in the presence of God. How many people I've heard that have been somewhere like in a Brownsville meeting or something, and they, they were as hard as a stone. But as the presence of God came over them, he began to soften their heart and change them. But I'm talking about following the cloud, following the glory. So the question is for you, are you willing to follow the glory? And I know you'll say yes. But Jesus spoke one time in a parable, and he said that there was a man that, that started to build a tower. And he started, and he was unable to finish it. And so people made fun of him. And Jesus said that you need to count the cost beforehand. And he said if there was a king coming with 100,000 men, and you only had 10,000, then you would count the cost before going into battle. And if you saw that you were going to be defeated, you would send a delegation before you. And he was saying, count the cost. And so I want you to think about this. Are you really willing to count the cost to go with the glory? Because I'm not sure that everybody here, including myself, I, I, although I have been through enough now to know a little bit about it, but I don't think people really understand the level of persecution that goes with it. Is you always got the religious person. Why are they falling down? Why are they laughing? Why, why, why are they crying so loud? You know, and it's always just, just something. And there's such a persecution 
that comes against the glory. And it's not only the religious community, but it's also, you know, the enemy. I'm going to tell you, one of the biggest threats. The enemy is not chasing everybody, but he is chasing after people that are doing something for God and winning souls. And one of the biggest threats to the enemy's kingdom is when heaven invades earth. When you have a place that is spiritually dry as a bone, and all of a sudden the glory is coming in. Where there's sickness and disease and Satan has got his little kingdom of health problems or whatever, and all of a sudden healing invades. Where there's people that are demonized and oppressed, and all of a sudden deliverance invades. Where the kingdom of God comes in to the earth where the enemy has somewhat of a jurisdiction. Whenever heaven invades earth, that right there is a threat to the enemy. And don't think that it won't be some kind of an attack come with it. So you're facing it from the church world, the religious, but then you're also facing it outside of that as well. So are you willing to count the cost? <coughs> the children of Israel, when it came to the tabernacle, let me read you this, and now I'm going to start closing this down. But the children of Israel followed the cloud. They followed the glory of God. It says in Numbers five or Numbers 9, 15 through 23, on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And there on the tabernacle, as it were, an appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of the fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after the children of Israel journeyed, the place where the cloud would abode or rest, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched their tents. I'm just going to stop there. But in other words, every time the cloud would lift, the glory would lift up off the tabernacle and start moving, the children of Israel would pack everything up and follow the glory. They would follow the presence. So, you know, what has happened with a lot of ministries over the years, there's a lot of denominational, you know, affiliations and a lot of churches and a lot of ministers. Ministers that used to be used very powerfully in the anointing. But a lot of that is not what it used to be. They started in the fires of revival. The glory was there. Something was going on. But at some point, the glory kept going and they camped out. And now it seems like they've got yesterday's anointing. Are you hearing me? It's not, the intensity is not really like it used to be. To keep moving with the Lord means that it's from glory to glory, right? Faith to faith is glory to glory. So the rest of our lives, we should be going from glory to glory. There should never be a time where the glory is diminishing. The anointing is drying up. You and I both know that Jesus had an open heaven over his life, and the glory was with him. And I remember when he called one of his disciples unto him, I can't remember, I think it was Nathaniel and John, 
he, you know, he told Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree. And so Nathaniel's like, wow, you know, you saw me under the tree. You're a prophet of God. And Jesus said, you believe in me just because I saw you under the tree? And he said, I tell you, you're going to see greater things than that. And not only that, he said, you're going to see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so we know that Jesus had an open heaven. But the glory was with him. And I remember there were times you would read where he was in the house and they ripped open the roof and they lowered down the paralytic. And it says that the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. And he carried that anointing. He carried that presence with him to the degree that the woman with the issue of blood would press through. And I just talked about this the other day, but it just it's so awesome to me that Jesus was not praying for her. He was on his way to Jairus's house, just minding his own business, the rabbi, you know, going down the road. And this woman presses through, and all these people are around him. She presses through behind him. He doesn't even see her, but when she makes that point of contact, the power of God shot from Jesus into her and brought healing. So the hunger, the desperation, and the faith, because she knew if I touch him, I'll be healed. It was the faith. Let me tell you about receiving from the Lord. It's important to know how to receive. But there's a, a faith aspect, a humbling aspect. I remember hearing Steve Hill say one time that during the revival, that it, whenever it was going on in Pensacola, and he would travel, he would minister, and he would preach places and pray for all these people. And there was one time, he was telling me, he said there was one time that there was this minister of the gospel that came and he had his, his entourage with him, and he was just really, Steve said he was a very proud man, and just there kind of like, you know, what are you going to do type of thing, like, you know, you're lucky I'm here type of attitude. And Steve was going through praying for people, praying for people, to get hit by the power, hit by the power, and he goes up to this guy and reaches up to touch him. And Steve, Steve said, I was thrown backward and landed on the ground, and he said, I looked up, and that guy was just standing there looking at me. And he said, I know what that guy was thinking. That guy was thinking, I'm so powerful that, you know, whenever he came up to me, you know, he hit the ground. But Steve said, here's what actually happened. He said, what God had intended for that man came back on me. See, there's got to be, some, there's got to be a humility. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. God will oppose the proud. If somebody's prideful, God will actually pass them over. The second thing is there's a, there's a faith factor. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, she knew as soon as my hand touches that garment, I'm going to be healed. It's gonna, and, and Jesus didn't pray for it. He did not turn around and touch her. He didn't pray for her. He didn't say a word. But her faith, her faith, when she touched him, her faith pulled it out of him. And see, when, when you're praying for people, there's the, the faith, and you, you guys know those that pray, you know what I'm talking about. The faith will draw out the anointing. So when you get prayer, expect. And let me tell you something else. Um, you know, as we pray for people with the outcry on the streets and different things, it's a lot of times easier ministering to the completely unchurched crowd because church hasn't ruined them yet. And they haven't got all religious. And, you know, it's easier to minister to them. But many times you'll be praying for people that are religious. They've been in church. 
and they're they're all shundying and yelling and just you know and it's like you got to tell them listen calm down and just let it pour into you man you know because they're so they're so just in, in they're not you guys know what i'm talking about. they're not really in a receiving mode they're just in a petitioning god mode and so you remember the holy it says the holy spirit the same spirit has been given for all of us to drink that's what corinthians so there is a drinking in, there is like getting, it's like getting under the waterfall and just letting the Lord pour into you. And once people learn how to receive the humility, the faith, and, and the just stopping and letting that pour into you, it's an amazing thing. It really is. But Jesus spoke of the glory, and he said in John 17, he said, my prayer is not just for them alone. He's praying for um, his disciples, he said, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So really, Jesus was praying into the future, and he was praying for us that we're going to come to know him later. In verse 21, he said, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me so that they may be brought into complete unity. So you see, unity has a lot to do with the glory. There's a lot of ministries out there all over the world that Satan attacks with division. And you go into some, some churches or whatever, some ministries, and you can feel all the strife and the gossip and the fighting and the bickering. And, and you got this group over here that can't stand that group over there. And there's all this division, and I'll tell you, in those places, I'll tell you what you don't ever find. You don't ever find the glory. Because it's not a place God's glory is going to dwell. It grieves the Holy Spirit. But God's glory will dwell where there's forgiveness toward one another. Because how many knows we're all, you know, imperfect humans? There's going to be a day that somebody rubs you wrong. And my theory about church is, is that, you know, it's meant to knock the rough edges off of people. It is. You remember David? David took these five smooth stones, and, and those smooth stones were giant killers. And those smooth stones were in the river. And the reason why they came smooth is because they knocked the rough edges off each other. You put a group of people, imperfect people, with a sinful nature and all the different junk that they have in life, and you put them all together in a river, what's going to happen? They're going to start rubbing each other the wrong way. And the Lord says unconditionally love your brother and sister, pray for them, and forgive them. If they knock your rough edge off, forgive them, and then one day you'll realize, you know what? That rough edge needed to get knocked off. And what God does through that process is, is he's making giant killers. But people that won't go through that process of getting the rough edges knocked off, every time something rubs them the wrong way, they're easily offended. They're big babies. They can't take it. Oh, you know, they get all upset, and next thing you know, they just, from church to church, and they never can get stable and let God get roots in them. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> but if they'll get in a place where God can actually do a work in them, you know God rewards fruitfulness with pruning. So here you go along thinking, I'm bearing fruit, Jesus, I'm bearing fruit. And he says, that's good, come here. And he snips something off and it hurts. And he says, I will prune you 
and then you will bear even more fruit. But Satan offers a counterfeit for the glory. You know, one of the things about the enemy, he knows that major direct opposition sometimes will be exposed. So what he does is he tries to bring in a counterfeit. In other words, get your eyes off of the real and onto the wrong. And what he's doing a lot of times is, in a lot of ministries and a lot of places, is he's offering hype and charisma. And you can go around a lot of crowds, and I've, I've grown up in Pentecost, okay, so I, I have seen this multiple times. But there are certain people that are really good at getting a crowd into a frenzy. I mean, they'll shout you down and spit, and they got everybody jumping up in the air and screaming and yelling all this stuff. But, but really, the glory's not there. I'm not trying to be mean, but the glory is not there. The anointing is not really present. It's just getting everybody into a hype and a frenzy. They're all excited. And then you leave out, and it's kind of like, well, that was nice, but, you know. I remember, this is the true story. I was at a church where I was a youth pastor, and I left and came back. And that church, it was the weirdest thing. It was like a time warp, okay, like a, a sci-fi movie. Where I went, I was like there, and then I went back again. It was the exact same people, the exact same songs, the exact same everything. Nobody had grown an inch spiritually. It was the exact same as when I left it, except people's hair was grayer. It was weird. And, I mean, it was it was like going into a time warp. And I remember thinking, this can't be right. I mean, these people, this has been like six years, you know. They should be further along. But it was the same. But that church was notorious for getting everybody whipped up into a frenzy and, and spitting and hollering and yelling, and, but really nothing was going on. Another thing is, is having a focus on great-sounding worship instead of hosting God's presence. There's nothing wrong with great-sounding worship. But when that is your focus, see, your focus should be this. The whole focus of the worship here is not about sounding great. The focus of the worship is getting God's presence here and going into God's presence. There's never been a time, but if there ever was a time where the presence wasn't here, we would be shutting it down and figuring out why. I remember hearing Leonard Ravenhill say that in an interview. He said uh, he said that there was a mainline denomination. I'm not going to say what it was. But he said that across the board, he said that the glory, this is what he said. He said the glory has departed from most churches. But he said yet they keep on going through the motions as if the glory was still there. And he said what they need to do is they need to, as a whole denomination, call a fast. And they need to tell all their churches next Sunday, don't preach and have regular service. Get everybody fasting and praying. Get on your face and ask, beg God to send his glory back and repent of any sin or whatever. That's what he was saying. Another thing that is, you know, Satan's counterfeit is entertainment has replaced the joy of the Lord. Strong drink. Instead of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know, if you're filled with the Spirit and, and you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need the enemy's counterfeit. A focus on beautiful buildings and decor instead of the glory. 
You remember when Jesus came, what did he come to? He didn't come to this, this gorgeous palace, you know, where you would think that the king of kings would be born. You would think the king of all kings would be born in some kind of an amazing palace. But he came to a, a manger, which was something that was smelly, it was dirty, and it was obscure. So the, Jesus was the greatest glory visitation, okay? When Jesus came, it was the glory of God. When Jesus came, he came in humble circumstances. Why? Because God didn't ever want it to become about the cathedral. He wanted it to be about Jesus. And whenever you look at the Azusa Street Revival, one of the greatest revivals in American history, it was born in a little house on Bonnie Bray Street and then in a glorified manger, really, in the the Azusa Street Mission. It was never about the buildings. It was never about those things. It was about the glory. The thing about Azusa, just to talk about one revival, but the Azusa Street Revival was so powerful that people came before, you know, there was all the automobiles and, and planes and it was easy to travel. They came from all over the world on horseback and boats and trains back when it was difficult to travel. And they came from all over the world, got touched by God, and literally missionaries to this day, missionaries have gone out from Azusa Street all over the world. And because of missionaries, you've got people like Reinhard Bonnke who got saved because somebody from the Azusa Street Revival ended up in his hometown and led his family to Christ. But it was never about the buildings. It was always about hosting God's presence. And another thing is being more concerned with social status and reputation than God's presence, which was really, you know, this pastor, um, you know, he was being really candid, really honest about it. But he was more concerned about social status and reputation, which is something like a spirit, I guess, that we're dealing with even with the Rockwell area, isn't it? It's about social status, you know, and, and whatever it is in life that people want about their reputation. But you've got to die to that reputation and die to what people think. The Apostle Paul said, I cannot be a servant of Christ if I continue to care what other people think. I'm paraphrasing in Galatians. You, you can't live like that. You won't be able to fulfill what God's called you to do if you're worried about what other people are thinking. And the whole thing about the Lord is the Lord deliberately does things that will offend the prideful and the religious. Some of the end time prophecies say that the latter house glory in Haggai 2.9 it talks about the latter, the, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. You know what's interesting about that? What it was referring to was the second temple period. Israel had sinned. God allowed them to go into exile, remember, to Babylon. And you got the stories like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all that. That was all because the children of Israel sinned before God. They would not repent of their idolatry. And God allowed Babylon to come in, wipe them out, take them captive. After 70 years, Daniel discerned that it was time for a new move, and Daniel began to pray and fast. God moved on the heart of King Cyrus. King Cyrus allowed um, Ezra and Nehemiah to go back. Nehemiah began to build up the wall. Ezra began to rebuild the temple, and it was discouraging. It was difficult because just like every time God's doing anything, Satan sent people to sit there and, and try to discourage them in every way they could. You guys don't know if you've read it, but Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and these guys that were 
just constantly just a thorn in their side. And so God sent them prophets that would come in there, like Zechariah and others, to give them the word of the Lord to encourage them. One of the prophets was Haggai. And Haggai came in and said, I know that you're rebuilding this temple. And the older people that remembered Solomon's temple actually cried because of how inferior and how ugly the second temple was in comparison to the first. And the prophet Haggai comes in and says, but the Lord says in this ugly temple, in this second temple that is far inferior, that his glory will be greater here than it was in Solomon. There's a message in that. And I believe in these final hours of the church before Jesus comes, I believe with all my heart that the latter house glory is going to be greater. I really believe that we're going to see greater things in our day than the early church saw. Jesus always saves his best wine for last. And Joel 3.18, or or I'm sorry, Joel 2.28 says that God in these last days would pour out his spirit on all flesh. So there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, again, talked about the glory. But look at Isaiah 60, verse 1. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord arises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord arises on you, and his glory appears on you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. See, in these last days, it's going to get darker and darker, the Bible says. It says here, thick darkness. But the darker it gets, it's like there's stars. I've used this example. There's stars in the sky all the time. They're there during the daytime. But you don't see them until it gets dark. The darker it gets, the more pronounced the people of God that are really his people are going to shine. But there's going to be a greater distinction. See, one of the things God is doing right now is he's sifting. And I really believe with all my heart that a lot of what the church world and the body of Christ as a whole, I don't believe a lot of them really truly know the Lord. Because if they did, they wouldn't live the way they live. Just my opinion. I think a lot of them think they know the Lord because they're religious, they go to church and all that. But if they really knew him, they really had an encounter with him, they were really truly born again, they were really his, they would be so different than the world, it would be like night and day. So one of the things the Bible talks about in these last days is, I believe there's going to be a great sifting, and God is going to purge his church. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God, and I believe God's going to clean house. And the last thing is, where there's unity, there's going to be a flow of the anointing, There's going to be a flow of God's blessing, and there's going to be the glory. Psalm 133 says that how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil poured over Aaron's head running down his beard on his his garments. And there God commands his blessing. But also Jesus said that they may be one and share in my glory. That's where when there's unity in God's people, that's where the anointing flows. That's where God commands his blessing, and that's where the glory dwells. But see, following a crowd usually leads to major mistakes. And in these last days, there's a lot of people 
that are venturing off to go after watering down the gospel and becoming more and more worldly. It's really concerning because some of the body of Christ is trying to blend together with Islam. Some of the body of Christ is trying to blend together with witchcraft and have some weird thing. And there's some of the body of Christ that's trying to embrace homosexuality as a lifestyle. And I'm not talking about, you know, condemning. In, oh, I, look, if somebody lives in that unrepentant, they're not going to die and go to heaven. That's just what the Bible says. But we love them. We care about them. We're trying to reach out to them. Amen? But embracing that lifestyle and having a church of gay people that's unrepentant, that goes on. And one of the biggest ones is in Dallas. Okay, that goes on. Embracing that and condoning that lifestyle, how in the world, you know, can they possibly justify that? And so you're, you've got a, I'm talking large, some of the leaders in the body of Christ, if I name names, you, your mouth would hang open, are going along with these weird agendas. And it and it, there's a deception because they're thinking that they're, that somehow they're reaching more people and it's this seeker-friendly thing and, and being relevant, but they're going off into totally watering down the gospel and accepting things that the Bible condemns. And unfortunately, it's leading droves of people with them down the wrong path. What does the Bible say about following a crowd? In Deuteronomy, it says, do not, do not follow a crowd to do evil. But look, look at this. In John 6.15, the crowd was wrong when they wanted to crown Jesus as king before his appointed time. In John 6, 26, the crowd was wrong again when they wanted to follow Jesus for bread only. In John 19, 6, the crowd was terribly wrong when they shouted crucify him. In Acts 14, 5, the crowd was wrong when they wanted to stone Paul. In Luke 4, 29, the crowd was wrong when they decided to throw Jesus off a cliff. In Acts 4.18, the majority was wrong in their attempt to stop the apostles from preaching in the name of Jesus. And in Numbers 14, the majority was wrong when they voted to not go into the promised land because of the giants. So over and over you see that usually the crowd is wrong. And right now you see the crowd going down a certain path where things, what's concerning is, and I'm closing with this, is there that people, the church should be changing the world, not the world changing the church. And people should not, in the church should not be trying to make Jesus acceptable to the world, but rather make the world acceptable to Jesus. And the church is trying to say, well, you're just religious and we should be able to, and what they're saying is, is they want to live in all this sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. If you're going to accept sin and you're going to be just like the world, number one, don't expect to go to heaven when you die. But number two, you'll never have his glory. If you want the glory, you're going to have to give up the sin. Because the glory will not dwell where there's unrepentant sinners. It's a good night so far. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for your glory. Thank you for your presence.
Spirit Lord would say those that don't let the Lord build the house labor in vain for the Lord would say if you allow me to build this house your labor will not be in vain but the Lord would say that there are people that for political reasons and for their own selfish ambition and their own gain and their own fame and their own wealth have elevated themselves beyond what I've called them to be elevated. And because of that, there's not a grace on them. And when the time comes, what they have built will collapse because it's built on shifting sand. But if people will humble themselves, and they will seek my face and seek my presence and be more concerned with what I think, the Lord says, then I will build the house and it will stand through storms. The enemy will not be able to pull it down. Men won't be able to pull it down because that house will have the key of David and when doors open, no man can shut those open doors. And when doors shut, no man can reopen them. A house that I have built, says the Lord, will be a house that is protected in these last days. And my glory will be over that house. And my blessing will be in that house. For the Lord would say in these last days, the healing ministry will be very powerful and very pronounced because there's so many hurting that are out there. And the Lord would say, I'm going to raise up a powerful deliverance ministry in these end times that will destroy the works of the devil because many people coming to me, the Lord says, many coming to me are in bondage, but I will set them free when they come to me. And those that will humble themselves and let me build the house, they will also be a wineskin that can handle new wine. They will be able to be on the cutting edge of what I'm doing in the earth. But many have gone astray and they've gone into things I never called them to. There's programs I never initiated. There's things that they have done out of their own human minds. There's a lot of business decisions they've made without consulting me. And because of this, I cannot move in their midst the way I want to. Because people that have come in, some of them resist my spirit. And the Lord would say, I stand at the door and knock in many of my churches across this nation, and they never even hear my knock. They don't invite me in to come among them. And whenever my Holy Spirit begins to move in some of them, they shut it down as quick as possible and they quench my spirit and it grieves me, says the Lord. But the Lord would say there will come a day 
whenever they're going to desperately have needed this extra oil in their midst, desperately needed a move of God, desperately needed my spirit among them, but they resisted my spirit over and over and over. And in that time, when they need my spirit the most, he's not there among them. So the Lord would say, you're in the last days. The day of my return is near. The harvest is upon you. And the Lord would say to you, be faithful with what you've been called to do. Satan will try to use religious people to try to get you off the track of what I've called you to do. I have called you to be spirit-filled underneath an oppression of an anti-Pentecostal spirit. I have called you to preach the gospel in a day when many are trying to water it down and get away from the gospel. I've called you to bring healing even though there's religious people that don't believe healing is for today. And the Lord would say that they will say the same thing about my servants that they said about me. Where Jesus would say to you that they said about him that he was demon-possessed, he was a lunatic, and he cast out demons by the power of Satan. They lied about him. And the Lord would say, don't be surprised if some of the same accusations aren't leveled against you. For a servant is not greater than his master. And if they hated me, says the Lord, they will hate you also. But be strong and take courage and do what I've called you to do. Because in those days when persecution comes, I will increase my glory and my anointing in your midst. And the fire of God will be so strong on you, you're going to be lost in my presence. And it won't matter to you in those times when anyway, says the Lord. Come on, lift your voice with me. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Feel that. Just worship him for a moment. Come on, worship him in the spirit. He's here. And feel that. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence, your glory, your fire. the Lord would say that Jesus would say that I only had 12 and turned the world upside down. Don't be surprised with a ridiculously few amount of people when revival breaks out in this area. A harvest is coming. An effective door is opening. And God's going to mightily use the worship. Shoo, 
takes me closer to glory. Pastor Steve looks nervous. <laughs> I feel the Lord saying too that the, the youth are truly going to see revival fire. And I feel the Lord saying, even, even publicly, please come. Be faithful. Be faithful. Don't let the enemy get you distracted. Please come. But there's a fire that God wants to be put in your heart like never before at, at a whole new level. And he's putting it in you because he wants his own people to burn. What's going to sustain people in these end times is their, is their passion for the Lord. The fire in them. That fire increases every day of their life. And I feel the Lord putting a massive fire on you. <coughs> the intercessors, the intercessors are going to be powerful units to help bring the glory, covering, covering, covering covering, covering down over people. And Anthony, I mean, your greatest days, what you're seeing now is just the top level. And you're going to take, you're going to take not only miracles to the level, but you're going to take revival to the level. There's a massive Rodney prayed for you, that was increase. And Lord, increase that mantle of fire on us each and every day. Now lift your hands where you're at, young people. Lord, I pray fire, Holy Ghost fire. Now come on the young people in Jesus' name, right now. There it is. More fire. Shoo. More, more, more. If anybody needs prayer about anything, I'm available. Otherwise, I'm going to dismiss you guys with praise. Say, Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for what you're doing. May the Lord bless every one of you, that his fire consume your life. I bless you that you're strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And every area and detail of your life is blessed and fruitful. Lord, I pray the Bible says you encamp your angels around those that fear you. That you surround people with your angels and take them home safely and bring them back safely. Lord, I thank you for tonight. Let it be sealed, what you've done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.